0: New teams, fresh paint jobs, and a first look at the gear setups. NHL training camps have given way to the preseason, and this is your ticket to the latest news, opinions, and philosophies in goaltending. I'm Darren Millard, and this is episode 35 of In Goal Radio, the podcast. A presentation of The Hockey Shop, source for sports, Surrey, thehockeyshop.com. Today, we chat with a first-year pro, highly touted Vancouver Canucks prospect, Mike DiPietro although saying he's a first-year pro is kind of weird because he's already appeared in an NHL game. His goalie coach, Ian Clark, stops by for the second part of a conversation with Kevin Woodley. We can't wait to bring you that discussion, especially after all the feedback from last week's part one. Plus, our In Goal Radio gear segment focuses on one of the most personalized areas of equipment. It's not the mask, nor is it pad straps. Can you think of it? Think right now. What is it? Toe ties. Specifically, the Brian's Smart Toe Ties. I was at thehockeyshop.com and I am intrigued by this product because it offers a couple of different ways to implement it. Let's bring in the co-founders of InGoal Magazine, Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison. And Woody, uh, you and Cam talk about these toe ties and it's another gear home run for the goalie gang of the hockey shop because it's proof that the people at Source for Sports uh, in Surrey.
1: And goalies really do go together. Yeah, that's why uh, that's why they're the perfect sponsor for the In Goal Radio podcast because they get it, they get goaltending. And so when we talked, we've talked about toe ties before. We've talked about all the different options, but as they sort of search through those options, um, the Brian, not the smart toes, this is the yeah. this is the cord uh, based version of it. What they noticed is it had a little leather strap between the toe of the skate and and the boot of the pad and what they've come to realize is that actually makes it adjustable so they found a nice little way and we'll explain it in in, in full in the segment about how you can sort of achieve that old school feel of knots in the toe tie with the modern sort of responsiveness of an elastic cord and how this setup allows you to do it so that's why I go to the hockey shop that's why you should go to the hockey shop or the Because of ideas like that, because they tinker with the gear to find out what works best, and then they order more and bring it to you, Um, whether it's the latest brands, the newest gear, or accessories like the Brian Smart Cords, uh, the guys at the hockey shop have it. They know how it works. They know whether it's going to work for you, so make sure you check them out in person at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports in Surrey, British Columbia, or online at thehockeyshop.com
0: so it's not there's two different models right there's smart there
1: is. toe ties and then there's a smart cords yeah and the smart toes have been around for a while um, yeah. we, we've tested them uh, on the brian's pads uh, over the years and they're they're good i do think that you know they're a pure elastic based system there were there were some people who found them a little too elasticy some of our testers found that you know in an extension say you that that skate would get outside of the pad maybe more than they liked. Uh, and so the smart cord's a real nice balance be- between that. not sloppy um, but just a little firmer tie. but again because of this, this this unique attachment at the toe, you can you can add some slack to an elastic system, which in and of itself outside of just tying knots into an elastic makes it kind of unique. Elasticity. Is that what we're looking for? Elasticity? Elasticity. There you go. <laughs> here's,
0: here's David Hutchison, our, our, uh, our conscience, on the, uh, the Ingold Radio podcast.
2: Are, are, are we doing okay over here? I guess. I, I had a former life as a physics teacher, so the things are flowing <laughs> through my head right now as we're talking. Uh, a little bit of Hooke's Law going on or something. Um, yeah, how's it going boys? It, it is, uh, it's a,
0: it is a very personalized piece of equipment though, the toe ties. Everybody seems to have their own
2: little tweak or take on it. And it's an affordable piece of gear to tweak with too. So that's really nice. I just should say Kevin mentioned that we tested them. Uh, we've also tested them on non, uh, Brian's pads. And that's one of the nice things about this kit is that you can move it from brand to brand, um, and I, I think it's for me, what, what they're working on here is sort of the holy grail, because I'd like things to be a little bit more responsive, a little bit tighter. But then when you start integrating with the post, you don't have quite that flexibility that uh, you'd like to have. So we've tried a whole bunch of sort of in-house tweaks to make things work a little bit better. And I'm intrigued to give these a go.
0: Uh, Brian's will also get a mention in the Mike DiPietro interview that's coming up, the effervescent 20-year-old talking about the switching of manufacturers and his relationship with Canucks goalie coach Ian Clark. DiPietro's familiarity with his uh, goalie Yoda in Clark actually goes back a lot further than the two years that he's been with that Canucks organization. But before we turn things over to the teacher and Ian Clark, a chance for us to share our thoughts about the start of training camps and... Let's get into, not not about performances as much as any setups or buckets, uh, anything catching your attention. Let's start with you,
2: uh, Hutch. It's the best time of the year, isn't it? It so is. So much cool stuff happening. Not just the gear, the helmets, new faces on different teams, new hopes for guys trying to make teams. It's, uh, yeah, it's like uh, New Year's and it's really, really exciting. Um, for me, what has stood out? Uh, I, I think as I was saying to you guys earlier, what stood out is I really like the college setups. Um, I'm, I'm partial to those clean paint jobs that, uh, are bold, that are recognizable from a distance. And I'm seeing lots and lots of those amongst the college kids. I think it was a Boston college one I was looking at, uh, yesterday, which really did a great job of incorporating, you know, the logo, the name, but then there's some subtle stuff in the background. Um, and I don't mean to take away from my, my point about things being bold and easy to see from the background, but there's sort of a layering to it. Uh, that began with something really, really bold, and and uh, and had a lot of gold in it, which uh, which I think is a theme coming around. Kevin, your uh, your favorite, and probably mine in the NHL as well, has a lot of gold in it.
1: Ooh, the mask! Like yes. for me, the best top, top bucket so far. Absolutely. Uh, and there's been some beauties, but, like, number one bucket has to be Carter Hutton's 50th anniversary Buffalo Sabres um, with the 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 actual gold leaf on it. Now, you know me. If I was wearing a bucket with gold leaf, I'd just get hit in the head. It'd be flaking all over the place, and there'd be guys, like, trying to, like, make money scraping it out of my crease. <laughs> um, but, I like, to me, that's just – that thing is gorgeous. And sticking with the theme, I, I think the Sabers uh, Bauer nailed Lena Solmark's Setup uh, with the the swords down the side of of his new sabers pads uh, and and matching gloves and blocker like that's 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 up there up along with maybe uh, Colin Delia's uh, Brian setup with Chicago Blackhawks uh, to me those are those are two of the best and I should a little love here boys for uh, for a couple of our compatriots in the the goalie gear social media geek world. Um, goalie gear nerd and the goal net uh as much as we'd love to say we have every setup on our social media those guys are all over new setups, so it is a fun time of year make sure you check them both out on instagram uh as well as us of course at ingold mag to see the latest setups and some of the new tweaks that uh that guys are trying at pads guys switching brands There's there's been some pretty exciting looks so far this season and I, i look forward to seeing a lot of these guys in person as they start coming through town here and we'll have them walk us through why and maybe some of the personal touches that you don't see on social media, some of the backplates and things like that. So we'll, we'll try and bring you a little more behind the scenes as, uh, as the season starts and we start getting guys coming through town here in Vancouver and into some of the other locations. Mr. Millard, as you get into Vegas, we'll have guys coming through yeah. there too with you. Um, it's going to be exciting.
0: You know, there's uh, there's some significant names that have, that have switched teams. Uh, Garrett Sparks uh, had a shout out in his first performance. Uh, he was the American Hockey League Goaltender of the Year a couple of years ago. He's now with Vegas after uh, a one year try with Toronto. Uh, then you think of James Reimer, uh, Curtis McElhaney, uh, also switching teams uh, after uh, extended stays or solid performances in the case of McElhaney with Carolina. And then there's the, the, the guys that you don't know uh, a ton about. And and getting back to the just the simplicity of a design for a mask, Hunter Miska, uh, with the Eddie Belfour like eagle on his mask, he's playing for Colorado in the Avalanche camp right now, but it's uh, he's bound for the Colorado Eagles, the Avalanche American Hockey League affiliate, and Miska sports that artwork that. Uh, that is just so familiar from the Belford days, but it's it's been off the radar for a while, and you realize it's just spectacular. Eddie was, uh,
1: but he started something with that eagle, and it is beautiful. And well, I mean the tie-ins are natural, right? Because who painted that eagle for Eddie? Todd Miska, his dad. Mm-hmm. I did not realize that. That's Hunter is Todd's son. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. there's there's a really good story there and one that we'll get into soon at Ingle. Uh, maybe we'll have him on here too as well. But, uh, I mean, Hunter grew up around goaltending through his dad and the paint jobs he used to do. You think in Nabokov, iconic masks with the skull, okay. yep. the, the skeleton. Uh, that was his dad. I mean, his dad was a part of a lot of iconic paint jobs. Back when... Back when guys had a theme and they stuck with it, right? Like they. I miss those days. I yeah, they were ident- they were identifiable based on the mask, right? That's kind of disappeared. They've gotten, you know, some guys are, um, but for the most part, they did. We saw it this year. We saw Jonathan Quick switch. Like I, to me, he was the battle armor that iCandy Candy Air uh, built mm-hmm. for him. That was Jonathan Quick's sort of symbol, and people copied it all around the world. Um, but he changed this year. Changed painters went to Dave Art, as many do. And and that look is sort of continued with a different take on it. And I, I don't know. Part of me likes new and, and likes different things, but that was one where it was like, yeah, that's not that's 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 not Jonathan Quick's mask. It just doesn't have the same ring to me, unfortunately. And hey, James Reimer on a on a second note there. We have seen yeah. him in action with the Carolina Hurricanes, his setup, his Bauer 2S Pro setup. Looks a little just white with a little splash of red, but I'm happy to report there is a custom graphic, kind of like Devin Dubnik in Minnesota, on its way. Rhymes is finally going to delve into that uh, whole custom look thing with the Bauer True Design, and I got to say, they, they've been nailing it too early in the season, the ability to and you know, whether it's crazy or just simple designs or like just really complex, like there's been a lot of nice looks coming out of them. And it's actually added a layer of excitement for me too. the way that sort of that ability to custom
2: print your graphics. There's there's been some beauties out there. Just for me, a shout out to our friends at CCM, too, though, because I've seen some nice even though you're you're in a in a set graphic. um. The simplicity of Jordan Binnington's look, uh, I just love, um, not just his pads, but but the new paint job on his helmet as well. I think that's a Dave Art one. And uh, if we can go to the slightly less well-known, um, Dylan St. Cyr at uh, Notre Dame has this beautiful set of CCM retroflexes. So you've got that retro look, you've got the gold, which I really love, and uh, and then goes back to that simplicity and the throwback feel that we're talking about here with the helmets as well. So you can also do something pretty exciting with a more stock graphic, and it's fun to see those things come out as well. I love retroflex. I yep. just I yep. love that I look have a set. And, and yeah, I, I do too.
0: it's yeah. it's it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite sets of uh, of all time. uh just uh, on the on the subject of uh, of performance and and masks and longevity, uh think about this as I ask the question, and this is both to the listener and to Woody and Hutch. You have to be a veteran. Because you have to have the longevity and you have to have gone through a few different masks, but with the same constant theme. So who has the the most familiar, the most uh, iconic uh, mask that's maybe survived a couple of different teams or a couple of different uh, paint jobs? and, and continues to this, this day and, and a current goaltender, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, might be uh, on top of that list. Tuca. And Tuca, Tuca Rask yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a great one. He right there with it, with it, with a unique look, yeah. uh, gold, <laughs> because there's some guys that have been around for a long time, but they, they, they change their look or it's not necessarily personal. Like Kerry, for instance, has, has changed his, his, his look a couple of times, but it's not. It's not iconic to carry Price. It's more a Montreal Canadiens, uh, a
2: mask. Yeah, he had some pretty personal stuff back in the day. I remember him with the, uh, was it a cowboy roping on the yeah, side? Yeah, with Arrigo. a Arrigo, Arrigo yeah. Those. Great yeah. guy to us in the early days at Ingold as well. Um, but he's gone a lot more bold and simple since then. I like, I like the boldness though. Um, yeah, it, Darren, when you, when you said one that has survived teams, that's one of the things I'd loved back in the day, you know, um, Felix Potvin would change teams and you'd see the same paint job just right. modified for color. Um, Eddie, who we were just talking about the same situation. We don't really see that because, you know, Lundqvist, Rask, uh, these guys are all quick one team paint jobs. Uh, is there anybody who's really carried one team to team? Or there must be that we're forgetting. And I I threw this at you, but yeah. uh, Woody, you can you can chime in here. It's amazing how quiet
0: he gets. Uh, when, yeah, I'm, I'm not when, sure when we when we're quizzing. Uh, quizzing. We can see people. him
2: contemplating the old days here. <laughs>
1: I'm not. I'm not. I'm not sure the sound of the hamsters running through the wheels in my head really makes for great podcast material. But uh, <laughs> I gotta be honest, I think you nailed it out of the gate. Like to me, Lundquist is one of those guys with the Statue of Liberty, and when you talk about pads, there's a guy who. Uh, mm-hmm. with, yeah. with, yeah, with Bowie's did, sorry, Bowers, digi print, true design, uh, technology and, and sort of, he was the, one of the, one of their sort of flagship guys. Once he found that setup, um that mash designs made for him the one that we see and we've now seen it year over year right like i don't think you're gonna see a lot of changes early on you saw like the you know, outdoor game he'd have like the pinstripes for the yankees and things like that but now you see that consistent it's kind of his logo it's his brand frankly he's got mm-hmm, you know m- right. merch with that brand on it and i mean iconic right? like to me i guess it is you know in an era where everybody's switching that has become his brand Several years running, uh, he's avoided the desire to tinker with it on a year to year basis. And I think and there's a guy who, if we were to switch to who's good, like there's a guy I'm looking to have a big season. I think a lot of people wrote him off last year. And when I watched him in the first half, when things were, when they had a chance and he had something to fight for in that crease before the mm-hmm. wheels came off around him through no fault of his own because of just where that team was going. I thought he was pretty damn good in the first half. And I've seen a lot of sort of talk from him about now, how does he maintain it? Uh, like if I was putting money down, I'd put money on a real bounce back for Hendrik Lundqvist because I think he's still got it in him. Well, they're going to be better too
0: with, with Kako and Panarin and uh, Truba the additions that they've made.
1: Yeah. And I thought he held them in there when they, they weren't really better, but they were just hanging around. There were some nights where it looked like he was just willing them to stay in that race for as long as he could. Like I said, I know the wheels fell off late. Uh, He came through town here after, you know, again, more friends had been traded away, longtime friends and teammates. And, you know, there was a a dejection there um, that was sort of hard to miss in his game. He plays with an edge. Like he plays on the edge he has to have that intensity to be Henrik Lundqvist. And if everything around you has kind of lost that, I would imagine it would be really hard to maintain. So you talk about storylines for the season, Henrik Lundqvist is near the top of mind.
0: And let us know your thoughts uh, by dropping us a line. Hutch, where should they send, uh, if they've got a comment or, uh, or a suggestion, uh, a submission for us uh, on Great Masks, uh, current iconic masks?
2: Well, if I could change it up just a little bit, we seem to be getting the most questions through our uh, Instagram feed on our DMs and Instagram. So you can, you can find us on Insta at ingolmag, uh, but you can also send emails directly and the three of us will get them to podcast at ingolmag.com.
0: Last week, part one of In Goal Radio's interview with Ian Clark featured a ride-along conversation that discussed Clark's seven, we'll call them principles of net minding. It also covered his journey through the evolution of goaltending coaching and uh, some comments about the monsoon that was hitting British Columbia's lower mainland at the time, the boys navigating uh, Woody's car. In part two, the pair... Park the car, trading in leather front seats and turbocharged engines for a space off to the side at Canucks training camp. We hope you enjoy this as much as you did last week as Kevin dives deeper into the world of Ian Clark.
1: Part two with Vancouver Canucks goaltending coach Ian Clark. We've ditched the car, we've ditched the rain, we've ditched the monsoons. We're in the bowels of Rogers Arena, a little quieter background for part two. We ended part one with you talking about or or sharing your seven key components to elite goaltending. And I thought it was interesting in some of our conversations over the years, we've talked about elite goaltenders who don't always have necessarily strong technical foundations. And I've kind of always wondered like at this level, you know, technique is something you can see easily. And so I think a lot of people who are sort of simple-minded, like myself, when it comes to the position, you said tangible. Those are tangible things that you can see. Technique is really easy to identify and measure. And we see guys that don't have it, but then they have all this success. And you know, I think of a guy like Craig Anderson, who you know doesn't have a, what I would consider a strong technical game necessarily, but has had incredible success at the NHL level. And sometimes I struggle to remedy that in my simple little mind. So how is it that a lot of these elite level goaltenders maybe don't necessarily have the strongest technical basis. Like that's not a coincidence in your mind.
3: Yeah, well, two things there. Number one is, you know, you mentioned the word tangible. And of course, naturally, we have, you know, we have all these goalie coaches all over the world. And, you know, and it really doesn't matter what sport or what position you're dealing with. As you mentioned, technique is tangible. And so it's it's very clear to us that if we go do this X number of times and we do it properly, we are going to improve that individual skill. And so... You know, from the standpoint of, okay, I'm a goalie coach. What am I going to, I'm going to go on the ice. I'm going to work with this goaltender. You know, the tangible is the easy one. And so... You know that's one thing to keep in mind: the intangibles are the toughies, and they're the tough ones, and that's why you don't really necessarily. It's not so much about going doing a hundred reps of something; it's about nurturing this stuff into their game, and it takes time, and it builds organically in their game. And so, it's not sub- something you can get greedy with as a goalie coach. It's more, it's some it's more of a, you know, it's almost more of a, you know, goalie coach goalie lifestyle approach, sort of. Uh, to how you go about your business on a daily basis type thing and and over time it nurtures and and grows organically within their game but uh, the other the other point to be made on that is the game is very dynamic and very unpredictable, and often we find goalie coaches working in in environments with limited shooters, limited space, um, very predictable, uh, very patterned. And we end up, uh, and the goaltender goes ahead and, and does all the repetitions. And then they're put into the ju- what I call the jungle, which is, of course, live action with 20,000 people in the building. And huge risk, the risk that didn't exist during the drill. So add dynamic, unpredictable, high risk, all of a sudden, from low risk, high pattern, very non-dynamic. And all of a sudden, it's no surprise that these just these technical repetitions don't always translate immediately to this, you know, and and this high high structural ability into elite performance. There's just too many variables in that unpatterned environment, and so we have to have other attributes to our
1: game so we can manage these scenarios. Okay, so we we've heard this from Carter Hutton in the past. Actually, he did did some articles with us last year at Ingle Mag and talked a lot about how he wanted to make sure for him it was staying out late and taking part in things beyond the goalie coaching drills. Because if things were too predictable, and like you said, predictable, uh, reps that always ended with the same shot from the same, same spot into the same position, like just there was no unpredictability to it. So he stayed out and he did. What are some of the other kind of things beyond staying out and taking part in some of the games that you can maybe do as a young goaltender to make sure you don't get into that you know, for lack of a better term, but maybe not fair. But goalie school, goalie mindset, where um, once the structure has gone, uh, you you can't keep up with it anymore. Mm-hmm. So you know,
3: for me again, it's uh, some of the things I do. For example, you know, I would always in almost every drill we do, um, we play live rebound in almost everything we do. So if I'm if we're working with a with a goaltender on a technical component of the game, and we're working on that repetitiously. what will happen is we'll we'll execute that repetition, but whatever happens after that, it is live. And I don't put limitations on the shooter. I will not do it. I don't care if they pass across crease four times. And at the end of the day, if you want to make your goaltender a competitive goaltender, then you can't just create these stagnant, uh, unpredictable, patterned environments. So, And what I'll say is, hey, this first half of the drill, that's mine. The second half of the drill, that's you, and you're going to go, and you're going to go play goal. We're going to work on this skill here in this moment, and then we're going to go play some goal and, and get them to, and, and as I say, no limitations on the shooters. Uh, shoot to score, and we compete. And we try to balance some of that technical work with some of those other components.
1: I'm guessing the shooters like that too.
3: Shooters love it, and you get buy-in from the shooters. You know what? if you got a competitive goalie, competitive goalie loves it. You want to go step on the ice with Marc-André Fleury and see the biggest smile. You put him in a competitive environment and nobody loves that more than Marc-André Fleury and you just watch him you know, with the white teeth gleaming behind the mask as he faces down those. And you know what? Again, he was a guy that I I got out on the ice with uh, when I was working with Team Canada many, many moons ago and uh, and I will you know, just watching him relish those competitive moments. And then you see this guy and, and here was a guy that worked very, very hard on his technique and structure, a fantastical, of course, one of the best goaltenders in the game. And, uh, but he was able to always balance out that structural work with this high compete. And as you, and I'm going to say this little phrase for people, uh, repeat the compete. So we go out there and we can repeat this technical skill, but how do you repeat a save that you may only ever make once in your life. How do you do that? You don't even know what the save is. Like some, some people may recall Jonathan Quick sticking his leg vertically in the air and, and stopping a puck once for his back leg in the air. He has only ever done that once in his career. Well, how did in the world did he get good at that? He's only ever done it once. Well, he repeats the compete. And that's the message I would always give to goalie coaches and goalies. And if, and if you're going to be a part-time competitor, it's, you're a non-competitor. So, in order for uh, that uh, that repeat the compete is not just uh, we're not talking about game time. If we want that to be unleashed in that critical moment, the repeat the compete mantra has
1: to happen in practice, and it has to be on a full time basis. So that's an example of one of those other attributes you talked about as um, the seven keys being something that can be coached or at least developed as a mindset. Uh, we think of guys that are competitive naturally. The reality is, if you want to be elite, you need to become competitive all the time, and that that, like anything, can be maybe not drilled into you, but repeated.
3: Yeah, it's certainly a, it's certainly a non negotiable with me. And uh, you know, I often tell goaltenders that I sit down with you know for the first time. So, for example, I I I'd never met Jacob Markstrom, um, and of course, we sat down and and had had the had our preliminary conversation. And we talked about this was going to be a partnership. And at the end of the day, he was bringing certain attributes to the table. And and I hope to bring some of my, some attributes myself to this partnership. And I said, you know, and that's the way this is going to be. It's going to be a partnership. Um, And that I only had two things that really were non-negotiable for me. You play the most critical role on the team. No one has a greater potential individual impact on the outcome of a game than the goaltender. So if we can agree on that and therefore agree that we play arguably the most critical role, it would make no sense for you not to be the hardest worker on the team. It makes no sense that the guy with the greatest responsibility would be the poorest worker. That doesn't seem to jive. So you play the most critical role, you will be the hardest worker. You play the most critical role, you will be the fiercest competitor. Those are the non-negotiables.
1: Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your experience overseas too. Now, a couple different stints. Uh, one was between work in the NHL. You spent some time with Modo in the Swedish Elite League. So, uh, speaking of drill-busting shooters, I think it was Marcus Naslin that, that brought you over there. I seem to recall seeing a few drills back in the mid-2000s that Nazi was a guy who liked to go bar down. Maybe sometimes when it wasn't his turn yet and it was still supposed to be structured. Um, but also, first, maybe let's go to Russia. Uh, not because it was there, you weren't there in an official capacity necessarily, but it started with Bob, didn't it? Sergey Bobrovsky bringing you over to do some camps, and we've seen, you know, we talk about structure and kids having maybe too much structure at too young an age in North America. We've seen this rush to find goaltenders in Russia, and it seems to me from the outside and talking to some of them, the common denominator is they haven't they haven't been overly coached at too young an age. A lot of that, those other seven components have developed organically reading the game and things like that because they're on their own a little bit longer it seems. Is that a fair statement? What have you seen? What's your experiences in Russia starting with Bob even to now? I know you still spend some time there.
3: Yeah, it's uh, you know I think I think the I think maybe the bigger issue is the institutionalization of the instruction. Okay. Um so you know of, of course here in Canada you know it's it, it's become fairly institutionalized on a national level. Um, same thing in Sweden, uh, you get this. Whereas you get into some of those Eastern European countries and it's it's more local goalie coaches with their own approach, working with young goalies that are therefore taught in different ways. It's just simply, there's just more, there's a greater variety of activity going on um, rather than here's the template, everybody, and we're going to make every goaltender look like this. And so every goaltender goes through the process and because it's nationalized, you know, you want to you impress the national body so that you can be a part of the national program or the national teams. And so you go about this and, and, and you get this template put over top of you. And I think that works really well at developing a lot of good goalies. I'm not sure it develops elite goalies. And so, yeah, great technique. Don't get me wrong, it's a critical part of the position. But technique alone will only make you a good goalie. It will never alone make you an elite goaltender. It never, ever has and never will. So for goalies out there, they need to begin to get out there and explore these things. So, you know, and I watched this firsthand in Russia, obviously was the first one, you know, that you mentioned uh, talking about. And, uh, you know, again, the competitive nature of these kids, um, the fun they have with it. Rather than it just being, okay, son, you're going to do 200 reps of this butterfly slide and I'm going to hit you in the belly. Watching these kids play and compete and find solutions in difficult moments. That stuff's, the technique stuff's the easy stuff. We do that stuff in a weekend. That's how easy that stuff is because it's tangible. But this other stuff, boy, oh boy, we want that in our, in our young goaltenders at an early age. And uh, the other factor, of course, in Russia is right now you've got some of the world's best goaltenders. Coming from Russia, and this sort of is a it's a geographic generational type thing that happens. Of course, we had the Quebec goalies, you know, with Patrick and Mar- and Marty Burder and everybody Finland wanting
1: Kippersoft Sweden uh, with Lundqvist, right?
3: So, and now you have, of course, Bob, and you have Vassy, and you have Varley, and you've got these fantastic role models, and they're not just role models because they're good. These guys work, and these guys are disciplined, and these guys are. Big and athletic.
1: And these guys hit all seven, believe me. Okay. Okay. So what about Sweden? what your time in Sweden? I I don't have it in front of me in terms of the number of years, we started in Moto. Um, you know, I mean Moto Ovik or Orange Koldvik is as close as I don't know if I got that right. speak Okay. It's not, bad. not, not bad. bad. I mean, I've I haven't been there. I did spend one training camp with the twins in Sweden, their first one. Um, but again, I, I a place an organization, a place that was famous for turning out hockey players, Marcus Naslam, Peter Forsberg, Daniel and Henrik Sedin, but not so much goalies.
3: Yeah, it was a um, it well. First of all, you know, it was a it was a very enjoyable uh, time uh, going over there, and and again watching the passion of of hockey over there. I mean, it's a it, it, it's quite a place, and I I'll never forget stepping out in j- late January in basically the Arctic Circle and and I don't know what sea I was on the edge of and the wind blowing, it was about minus 50 degrees. And, and, um, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, it's Sweden's a unique place. And again, they have incredible passion for the position there, um, as we know. Um, and you know, sometimes that passion leads us to these institutionalized approaches and, and what have you that we deal with. It's not, there's no, it's all noble causes. And, uh, but sometimes
1: well, you, 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 there's always a desire to organize. Right. Like, and, that's innate.
3: And, and it was, um, you know, and they did a very nice job of, as you say, organizing and, 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 and for lack of a better description, putting ink to paper and saying, hey, here's an approach. And you know what? Again, it, it did a fantastic job of, of uh, developing you know, footwork skills and, and fundamental positional skills and the ability to get a, from point A to point B very, very efficiently and, uh, you know, all these types of things. Um, for me when I was there, you know, it was uh, you know I was taking my approach, so I wasn't really just following the Swedish pattern, and um, you know I was lucky enough when I got there to uh, in their in their junior program, as you said, they didn't have never really had a goalie, they didn't have a goalie drafted uh, in the National Hockey League in their hundred years of existence. And I had two these two big young goalies in their in their junior program, one on the J their J twenty team and one on their U eighteen team by the names of Anton Forsberg and Linus Olmark, and uh, you know we uh, we got to we got to work with them. They already had an excellent um, skill set to begin with, and they were big and they were long and they were athletic, and you know we sort of took them on this journey, and and of course they they at the end of the day. You know, I'm kind of just a messenger out there. At the end of the day, the goalie has to be prepared to do the work. And these kids locked in on that. And uh, you know, I think a couple of years later, Linus Hallmark was a top goaltender in the Swedish hockey league. And uh and it was uh they didn't have they, they were fantastic and boy did they work.
1: And uh so it was a lot of fun doing that. What were some of the things that you took away from Sweden from, from their coaches? Like you said, you've talked about whether it's the goalies or the coaches always learning from other people. Um, we saw things like, uh, the reverse, I won't call it reverse VH, I'll call it the reverse or reverse. Um, just cause I know that's your preference. We saw that sort of come out of Sweden at the time. Um, what was it like, like, were, were there elements that you brought back from there that changed the way you approach certain things at all?
3: Well, and I'll say this, uh, you know, and, and we're, you know, since we're talking about the reverse position, um, you know, when I got over there, it was a position that was being fairly, um you know, it's a fairly common position over there, much more common over there than it was elsewhere. Yeah, they were ahead. Uh, they, they were, were ahead. ahead of the they curve there, for sure. They were ahead, especially from a static position, post-position standpoint. And, you know, where we really began to work a lot was, you know, was to turn the reverse into a much more dynamic uh, activity and, and not just a static post-position, but how can this, this unique position, um, How can it almost transform the way the position is played? Because, and there's two things I'll mention about the reverse. Uh, Number one is just from a static position, the beauty of the reverse position relative to previous post positions is the tilting of the upper body leaves the hips closer to center net. And so a simple lifting of the torso from that tilted position immediately puts the hips in the center of the net, exactly where your angle is. And so it's a much easier uh, way to get to middle net. It's a much easier way to move east-west um, from that position. So that 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 was a big, big part of the- of Right.
1: The, so we were coming out of VH being the more standard right. sort of dead angle where play your, in North America. Where your hips are way over at the post. Everything's where, at the post, yes. yeah. So, back, so other than that back leg being on the ice, all your coverage is outside of the net. Correct. So this was a big difference. But then- you know, you
3: begin to start thinking about this position, and then it became clear and this, that this is the first position in the history of goaltending, first position in the history of goaltending, that, that allows us to dynamically connect everything we do away from our post to everything we do on our posts. It's the first position in the history of the game, a history of, of goaltending. So I can be in a butterfly position, say, at the top of my crease, you know, for, for example, facing uh, the left point. You know, I've gone down, I've, I've made a save, the puck is, is, has moved to my left into the corner. I can rotate and I can immediately reconnect with my post in reverse position. Well, I couldn't go from butterfly to, to one knee down or VH. That's not a possible move. Right. So now okay. all of a sudden, I have these two moves. This, these, this common move I use away from my post, known as the butterfly, and this common move I'm using at my post called the reverse, and they completely work symbiotically together. It's the first time in the history of the goaltending position. And so that's where we really began to look at growing the dynamic nature of the reverse position. And that was, that, a lot of that work was
1: done in Sweden. And, that, and, the, and like you said, I, I knew it was a game changer. I'd never thought of that specific aspect of it. So, and again, they were quite ahead, ahead of the time uh, in terms of using it commonly over there, and we didn't really see it come over here on a regular basis. I guess Jonathan Quick in, in 2012 with the cup kind of seemed to spark that conversation over here. So another example of learning from things overseas and other goalies. Um, wanted to ask you a couple more, and then we'll let you go, uh, between the two parts. We're going to be close to an hour here and do appreciate the time. Balancing life as a goalie coach at this level, the highest level with life as a goalie dad. Yeah. yeah Morgan was a goaltender drafted by the Canucks. Um, your youngest son, uh, Blake is a goaltender now, I think around Peewee age, uh, second year, Adam, second year, Adam, sorry. And, th- and full caveat there because I don't have kids in hockey. I don't know what anything. About. Just made his first rep team. There we go. Congratulations. Young Blake. Um, I don't even know what these, these Adams and Peewees don't mean anything to me as a, as a guy who doesn't have kids in hockey. So I just throw it out there. Um, how do you balance that? How do you balance the, I mean, the, as demanding as you have to be here and, um, with, with guys who are doing it for a living with, you know, I'm, I'm guessing as a goalie dad, there's gotta be sometimes a softer touch. Is there like, how do you balance those two worlds? Yeah. What advice do you give to other goalie parents trying to do the same?
3: And it, and it, and it can be tough. I mean, you're walking off the ice with Sergey Bobrovsky and you're walking the, on the ice with Blake Clark and you're, you're just, you just came out of a high adrenaline environment and you've been on, on one of the best goalies in the world to be challenging him some way or another. And now you're you're with your you know Blake's ten now, but at the time, eight year old son who's just starting goal. Um, so yeah, I mean you have to you have to uh, you know it's and I have to catch myself sometimes and I got to step back a little bit um, because you have such high expectations of your of your pro goalies and uh, you know I have the same high expectations of my son, but at the same time he's ten years old and and at the same time you know he hasn't gone on the journey yet that some of these other goalies have gone on. And he hasn't gone on the journey that I've gone on, and so yeah, you do have to step back um, from a you know. For me, I really relish my time over in Europe, uh, in particular, because it does you know. I, again, I I I, got, I was blessed with the opportunity to work in that sort of unpatterned environment of Russia and the very patterned environment of Sweden, and so and I've worked with you know as we know some some outstanding goaltenders over my time. And so I've seen, you know, an awful lot and been able to pull f- pull from so many different um avenues uh in my journey. And so, you know, I, you know, am with my son at 10 years old, I do very little coaching with him um from the standpoint of technique. I want him to go play goal. I want him to be a goalie. And I often tell goalies I can help you with your pre shot activity. I can help you mark you with your post save activity. I can help you here. I can help you there. But at some point you got to go be a goalie. And you got to go make a save, and you know right now, you know I want him out there making saves, and I stand and cheer when he stands up on two feet and makes a save because I know it's starting to establish patient feet in his game. Patient feet is one of the biggest things that I aim to get in a goaltender, and at the at the you know at the NHL level of play, you've got Alex Ovechkin. I can show you incredible clips of Sergei Bobrovsky holding his feet as Alex Ovechkin is releasing a shot from the hash marks in the slot. The shot is released. You clearly see the puck on the way to the net and Bob's
1: still on his feet. Um, that's some tough stuff. Okay. So now eight to 10 year old Blake, you're cheering when that develops naturally. You just want to see that you're just, you're, you're encouraging it. Yes. Two-time yes. Vesna trophy winner, Sergei Bobrovsky. There, is there a way you can, because patience to me When we talk about the way the game is going laterally, the speed and everything, patience is probably never been more important for a goaltender. And the question always becomes, you know, how do you encourage it? How do you teach it, especially at at the higher levels? Like you said, eight to ten year old Blake, you're just you're encouraging when you see signs of it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you teach patience? How do you teach patience for a goaltender? Well, I I
3: actually teach some, I use a bit of a different word. I mean, patience is sort of a nice word to use, but at the end of the day, it's kind of an ambiguous, what does that mean? (laughs) So, you know, I talk about, I talk about uh, neutrality in a goalie's mind and body. So we are never pre-committed inside. You know, you get all these goalies that, you know, and, and part of it's coaching's coach's fault because, you know, any goal that goes through a goalie's five hole, any goal that goes, goes through a goalie's arm.
1: Never threw you right. That's never always threw you. a thing. It's never a, threw that you. we consider that a bad goal. So in other words, we put that we encourage them to get down earlier and lock up tight. Correct. So they're already pre-committed
3: inside. Okay. So now that pre-commitment inside is locked as inside, and now we have to release that in order to move to the outside. Well, too late. Sorry. So you know, I'll never forget in Columbus. Uh, I'll uh, Jonas Corpusalo, young goaltender in Columbus, Ooh, has
1: incredible patience.
3: Has I'll never, never, ever forget. Watching him on a five-on-three stare down Steven Stamkos as he edged in closer and closer and closer and closer and closer on a five-on-three and finally snapped a shot five-hole on him. And I went back to that coach's room, and John Tortorella was not happy with his goal, goalie, young goalie, and I said, I couldn't be happier with that goal. And he looked at me like I had nine heads. And, uh, you know, and I said, listen, if we're going to, if these guys are going to be fantastic to the outside— They're going to give up a few to the inside. And that's just the way that goes. I can make them stop them all to the inside if you want, but it'll be very, very average goalie. If we want them to be great to the outside, I need them to give up a few on the inside.
1: And so patience comes from not not ripping on, in part, not ripping on everyone that goes through you because the cost of patience is maybe one or two does, but you have the ability to access nine or 10 more that are Correct. maybe labeled top corner otherwise. Correct.
3: And so when I talk about, you know, I per, first first of all I teach goalies that we have internal reactions, we have external reactions. A shot into my torso is an internal reaction. I want them to get their mind wrapped around that they are reacting. Of course there's positional moments when we're right on top of a puck and we can just we can take a take a more positional body position and just accept There the puck.
1: are times when you just have to close the holes. Right.
3: And you can just accept that. Puck. Um, but for the most part, we talk here, we talk internal reaction, external reaction. We talk about neutral elbows. We do not pre-commit those elbows inside. We do not do that. We will stay neutral in mind and body until that puck is released. And, and we will go about our business that way. And of course, the other thing is, and, and of course, this is from the fins because of course, been done lots of work with fins too, and they cherish the hands. Some places cherish certain things and the fins cherish the hands. And, uh, you know, I always talk to goalies, your three most important anatomical um, assets starts with your eyes, your feet, and your hands. So we do, and you've probably seen me doing a lot of work here in the last year here in Vancouver with uh, Jacob and with uh, Thatcher and some of the goalies here, and we do a lot of handwork. We do, um, you know, we've just talked about patient feet. You've seen tons of visual um, activity going on and how we go about our visual work with these goaltenders, which of course comes back to that engine and having that if strong, efficient engine um, that is just purring along in their game, so that they can open their game to their uh, to having clear eyes and clear mind.
1: Nice, uh, I like it. Clear eyes, clear mind. Um, I think I think we'll leave it there, Ian. Uh, we could probably you and I could probably go on forever here, uh, but I can't thank you enough. That's almost a full hour between the two segments. Uh, I'm going to make you promise that at some point over the next year or so we we, we get back together and I, I'm going to pick your brain some more. But uh, thank you so much for taking the time. I know our listeners enjoyed part one. I know they're going to enjoy part two as well.
3: Thanks, Kevin.
0: A two-parter with Ian Clark, Vancouver Canucks goalie coach and his... newest prospect, uh, Mike DiPietro. We have a conversation with the Canucks uh, goaltender coming up uh, later in the show. So uh, a lot of synergy with this week's episode with uh,
1: Clark and DiPietro. And your takeaway, Woody, from Ian Clark. Oh, see, this is a tough one for me because I've known him. So not a ton of this surprises me, but it is interesting to hear him talk about it in both part one and part two. Technique, like it's important. It's often what we get focused on, on my side of things, you know, in the media, uh, on social media, certainly, um, we see a lot of people criticize goaltenders for technical mistakes they make that may lead to goals when when we're sort of reviewing, um, people are looking at, at plays and stuff like that, and yet it is it's the one thing we can identify and sort of talk about as analysts because it's it's there we can all see it right once you have an understanding of basic goaltending you can you know you can see when some of those things are missing or those elements are missing in a game and yet it is just such a small part of it and uh you know i think hachi the one thing that jumped out at you is the same thing that that it doesn't matter if you're not competing and compete is something we often describe as an intangible. But as Ian said, uh, it's something that you can nurture and develop in a goaltender. And in his case, just by frankly insisting on it on a daily basis.
2: Yeah. I love the piece about, about compete. Um, I think there's some real lessons in there for goaltending coaches and for kids. And it was interesting that for me, they actually fell outside of those seven keys. They, they, they they more came down to the be the hardest worker in the room and the repeat the compete. Um I, I thought those were both the real keys that everybody could put into their practices this week. Um the the other thing for me was that um I don't I don't think any of this has to be an all or nothing thing. People love to get into debates on one side or the other and oh, we, we have to drill in the technique so we've got a strong foundation for our goaltenders, and that's the number one thing. Or oh, all these Russians are coming out and they haven't had the same sort of structure to their game and, and now they're drafting athletes, so we just got to find a kid that has a higher upside that we can train later. I actually love that Clarkie um, clarified that a little bit in the interview, Kevin, and I heard him say that it's not that the Russians aren't trained, it's that there's a little bit more variety in what's going on there and there's not that formal structure that everybody in the country has to follow, so there's more to to look for is what I was hearing. Um. I, I i really believe as a coach that it's um that we have to look at all of those things the o the, the number one overriding thing can be compete and be the hardest working guy in the room but there's there's a time to focus on technique uh there's a time to let a kid just integrate it all and go be an athlete uh it doesn't have to be all or nothing though and i and i loved hearing clarky talk about all that today
1: well and it's interesting to me too because obviously you know full disclosure as we said in the first one like I go back to early 2000s with him he's the guy that got me into goaltending I was editing his technical pieces and as he said in part one like he was a guy who was known and maybe at earlier in his career focused on that technical aspects and to see him evolve where he where he talks about it just being one of seven pieces is you know there were elements of the conversation that I had sort of witnessed and seen, but to hear him articulate it was fascinating as well. And I think there's, you know, I mean, this is a guy whose books and magazines from the crease were subscribed to by some of the biggest names in goaltending coaching way back in the day. So to hear him talk about his evolution as a coach, um, I enjoyed that. And I think it's a nice little tease because uh, we hope to have Ian contributing some some version 2.0 of from the crease type articles for us at Ingoal Magazine over the coming year. You know, being too focused on
0: fundamentals and and technique isn't a bad thing. Uh, like, to have that conversation and that debate is is what I'm referring to. Mm-hmm. Because five, six years ago, there was a a real hole in in Canadian goaltending. And remember the they, they banned the import rule on in the Canadian Hockey League and they wanted to get more more goalies in. So to, to go a little bit too far on the technique side and then bring that back a little bit, I think is, is, is a sign of progress.
2: I guess I, I was never one for there being a hole in Canadian goaltending back then. I mean, there were so many fantastic goaltenders and everybody overreacted because they didn't like a particular performance in one international event. Uh, I think it's always been there.
0: Well, no, no. Then, then you look at the, uh, the, the other side of it and just the, uh, the, the fact that, uh, the technique uh, really goes out the window when you look at the best if you look at the best 10 saves, like like Clarkie and and Woody talked about, if you look at a highlight reel, the 10 best saves, you'd never teach a goaltender to make any of those saves. It's the, you, you never, never never practice any of those movements.: Well you' talk about that's where
1: that's where the great athlete comes out, right? The ability to break from structure, to have structure in your game, but not have it not have it define you to the point where you're limited by it the ability to go outside of it. Like he talked about saves that like you might make once in your life. Like how do you nurture that? And I guess that's the question. Yeah. And um, you know, Hutch, you're right. I think a lot of the reaction to Canadian goaltending was overblown, but there was, there's no question. There was a period there where the ones that were being picked both for some of those junior teams and junior programs, and then drafted high, many of whom flushed quickly out of the professional system um, were you know, largely get in a spot and get hit. Goaltenders for a long stretch there. There was a passiveness that had, that had come into Canadian goaltending. I don't mean like five years ago. I mean further back than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the most recent sort of what's wrong with Canadian goaltending arguments have been, frankly, I agree, overblown. But there was certainly a period there where um, passive is the word, where there was a passiveness uh, in what was being taught. And what the goaltenders that were being picked and rising to the highest level didn't have some of these dynamic elements in their game, and that's why we saw them after they were picked. They'd have success behind good teams and well-structured teams where they could get away with that, but it wasn't enough. As to tie it back to part one, technique sometimes isn't enough. You have to have other layers in your game. And for for a couple of years there, there was a there was a little window of Canadian goaltending where the ones that we were seeing on the biggest stage we're missing some of those other elements. And, you know, there's a lot of them that just never made it as a result. How do do you react when you get desperate?
2: I But I I, I love what Kevin said. Sorry, I I love that Kevin talked about break from structure and layering. Uh, Couldn't agree more because that ability to make that save that you only make once a year, once in a lifetime, uh, is based on some structure anyway. Um, I mean, if you don't have... Uh, your feet set in a particular way, you can't make that movement. If you don't get that back leg down as you're sliding across, you can't grab the edge to push back in that highly reactive save. I mean, there has to be a base to everything. It's not just throw it out the window and go play road hockey. Uh, so, technique and athleticism um, layer onto each other. And having a practice structure, the way Clarkey talks about, uh, also allows kids to develop some physical literacy unless you try some of these things you're never going to, um, you're never going to develop that ability to do it. So I think it's really important that, yeah, you, you don't want kids throwing it all out the window on the first save. Uh, I think we want them to encourage to go to the well, maybe on the third save, how long can you hold your balance and do it with strong technique? Mm-hmm. Uh, but allow people some time to explore, uh, physical literacy, which is uh, a topic in schools, uh, today.
0: Physical literacy. He is our dad. <laughs> no, phys- we've
1: talked about physical literacy a lot, and quite often. Well, again, this is this kind of ties to it. Frankly, yeah. physical literacy yeah. physical literacy comes from doing other activities. Physical literacy yeah. comes from not spending all summer doing the same drills, often in the same type of structure that Clark laments. Physical literacy comes from some of these Scandinavian countries taking the ice out in the summer and making kids go play other sports. Um, physical literacy is lost when we restrict um, the types of activities that our kids are doing at too young an age and make them, you know, single sports, single position, too focused at too young an age. That, I mean, that's just part of the equation, but it, it can be a big part. And I think that, I think we're all talking about the same thing in, in varying degrees and they all kind of tie into each other. And, you know it's cool because it's a conversation that I know is going on at a at a federation level all over the world when it comes to goaltending, um, and we'll continue to have these conversations here. I think we should bring in some of the some of the guys from other federations for conversations. This is this is a good idea. Let's dial up Thomas Magnuson from Sweden. Mm-hmm. Let's talk to these guys over the next uh, the next couple of months and continue this one. Going back to my days uh, working the desk and
0: doing the highlight shows, uh, I had this phrase when, whenever you'd see the, a crazy play, and it was uh, desperation breeds brilliance. And desperation like leads to creativity. the, the It didn't work as in a highlight line, but the desperation and then creativity, and then you get the brilliance. But you have to have that creativity to be able to react and and. and have the, the the brilliance. And that's that's what you get with a lot of these top 10 saves is uh, is a, you got to be desperate and then you got to be able to react and, and come up with a save. Uh, In Goal Radio, the podcast, is presented by The Hockey Shop, thehockeyshop.com. And I was on the website this week, guys, desperate for a new goalie bag to ship my gear to Vegas because mine, I took it there to the, the the shipping place, and they said, "No, we can't we can't ship that because there's holes in it everywhere from skates." <laughs> uh, so, Woody, uh, that's a piece of equipment. I'm asking, could you profile in the next uh, maybe maybe next week, so I have an idea of of what to do with my gear.
1: Consider it done, Darren. I Please? think I've you know now that I think about it, been down in the basement many times. There's a wall just below all the gloves, right along the bottom, just in a, a huge, massive row of bags, every shape and size, wheels, no wheels, um, carry, junior, senior. There are some that I'm pretty sure you could fit a small hockey team into. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's uh, absolutely consider it done. We will have bags profiled on the next one. Let's see what we can do about getting a discount on those bags, not just for you and your move, but for all our oh, listeners. Okay.
0: Mm. It's uh, it's not the sexiest piece of equipment or or accessory, but, I mean, it's one we use it every time we play, and, uh, and it's important, and whether it fits in the... Are you guys wheelies, or are you guys uh, shoulders? Carries?
2: Shoulder. Uh, I'm shoulder now, but I every time somebody makes a grand statement on social media, thou shalt not use wheelies, make the five-year-old carry his gear in the locker room himself. I no, always ask you? why. Uh, I've done both. I've done both. I think right now I'm a carry. But uh, a, I, I believe a, the wheel was invented for a reason, and and I think it's okay yeah. to use it.
1: Yeah, listen, I'm a carry guy, but not because of any type of foolish macho pride. I'll, you know, we'll explain that next week when we get into it all. What save, he just doesn't I'll want the
0: wheels to scratch one. his new car. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> it's got something
4: to do ding, with the ding, car. Ding, ding, ding.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, oh, sorry, sorry, I said turbocharged. It's
1: super, 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 twin turbo, Darren, twin turbo, supercharged. Okay. Now, right. hey, listen, um, and as far as like what do you mean, bags aren't sexy? Have you ever seen me pull it out of the car? I make this stuff look good. <laughs> well, uh, I've got a garage sale coming
0: on uh, coming up this week. I've I've got a few other things uh, that I can throw your way about uh, about gear ideas as well. Uh, as I get ready for my, do you want to bags. give the
1: address on that so we can Probably. send all yeah, the M yeah, crew over it's in to Markham? Okay, so be on just the lookout randomly for around
2: Markham, Ontario, on Saturday, yeah. and you'll find Darren somewhere. <laughs> there, there might be some uh, sweet
0: memorabilia lined up for you, memorabilia yeah. collectors. I'm actually selling some memorabilia and some uh, some belfour a Belfour glove that he wears underneath his uh, his wore underneath his trapper. So, uh, just, I just I, I'm. I'm purging uh so next week it's uh it's it's hockey bags okay now for toe ties and the goalie world has traveled a long way from the leather strap and buckle woody you never
1: used one did you no i'm way too modern for that crap with all due respect to marty britter who was still (laughs) using it when i was covering the league but um no i've never had to do up my my toes with a leather strap and buckle and i just sort of shudder at the concept
0: well it was it was hard to do like just the dexterity that you that you required uh, to to put on that uh, that buckle on that strap, uh, Hutch, you know all about it.
2: Oh, I mean, we we act like this is some great science to make you a better goaltender, but I think the Velcro toe ties were invented for parents who got sick of tying them up for the yes. five year olds and for beer leaguers who can barely reach down and touch yeah. their toes. So let's well, be. Well, s- I,
1: when you, I would probably, I mean, and Hutch can validate this, but there's pretty pretty strong odds that if I had to bend over to get like. There'd be an injury involved getting dressed if I had to do a leather toe tie around the front. Leather of my... toe tie,
0: totally. Uh, skate laces uh, took over. They were the mainstay until bungee cords arrived on the scene a couple of years ago. Uh, no matter your preference, there's always still a further debate about how tight you tie them up, whether you put the gap in the skate laces or uh, use the bungee or even a gap in the bungee. And that's where this week's feature product in the gear segment comes in. It indeed does appear to be the best of all worlds. A hybrid, if you will. Here's Woody and Cam at the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports Surrey, and the gear segment on In Goal Radio, the podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Hockey Shop, Source for Sports, out here in Surrey, with Cam Matwith down in what I call goalie heaven, the basement, the lower floor of the Hockey Shop, um, which is pretty much head-to-toe, wall-to-wall, goaltending, pads, gloves, helmets chesties, pants, you name it, but also accessories. And we're here with Cam Matwiv today to revisit a topic we talked about before, but we're going to focus in on one particular product. Toe ties is the topic. Uh, we already kind of went over all the options yeah, probably about a couple of months ago. But there's one option that's emerged um, as, as a real popular choice uh, among the sort of new bungee style system. And it's available, not just on pads, but available as as a separate order. And it kind of fits on anything. And that is the Brian Smart Straps. Not the Brian Smart Toes that are sort of that elastic wraparound, but the Brian Smart Straps. Cam, walk me through why
4: this one in particular is flying off the shelves for you guys. The Smart Cord. So this is an adoption that you've seen on... Practically every new set of pads that have come out this year is some version of a, a bungee cord system. Um, it, for the most part, guys have been a little bit slow in being available aftermarket in terms of by the bigger name brands. I mean, we've seen things from, you know, um, companies all around that have come up with different shock cord systems and whatnot. But uh, this is one certified by Brian's hand built by them. Uh, We have on our walls in particular. It's super easy to install. There's even an instructional video um, link actually on the package itself. If you get a little confused. That's a nice Uh, idea. Yes. Great idea. Um, But why this is going to be beneficial to you in particular, especially for someone who um, a lot of reverse VH um, pulling up from the post, they really want that pad to snap back, but have a nice tight control feel, especially right at the front toe. These are where those smart cords really come into play. It kind of removes some of that, uh, Slop for uh, lack of a term. Right. Now, the one thing about this one that separates it from some of those other
1: ones is even with wanting that snap, some guys still want a little more give at the toe than the elastic itself allows. Mm -hmm. In other words, some guys are still looking for that toe tie knot feel before the elastic kicks in. A little bit of a gap, especially you mentioned the RVH. That's one of the comments. They want a little bit of slack that allows them to get the skate inside and the toe on the post before all those elastic properties sort of, you know, again, help you get the get the skate to the ice and the butterfly, ease some of the tension, but also allow the pad to snap back. And what Brian's has done here, and you can do that, like you could just tie knots in it in one of the elastics. Uh, different models are, have varying degrees of ease with that. But what Brian's has done with this system... Um, the smart cord system is they've put a little leather sort of spacer. And what we've discovered here is we're playing with it and we'll have a video on our social media channel, uh, with all due respect to cam, John will walk this through it when, when cam was away. So, uh, we're going to give him his moment in the sun on social media, but this little leather insert between the toe and the, and sort of the, the, the boot of the pad where it connects will slide up and down. And so you can, in effect, create different lengths of slack before the elastic kicks in. And we've had some real positive feedback on that. So that's why we wanted to come revisit this one and and talk about it. Is you know a product that's that sort of had, that's a separator for them. You don't need to tie knots. You've got this little piece you can insert there, and you can adjust the length on it to to give you that bit of slack before the elastic picks up. What's been the feedback from goalies that have tried this setup?
4: Exactly. I think you kind of touched on kind of the biggest point, which is really why we like kind of uh, pushing this product in particular is because it does give you that flexibility to, to find exactly what you need, you know? Um, Good you
1: for know. us old is that, Maybe, you know, sometimes the new technology, we get it, but we're not quite willing to go all in. This is a nice little bridge between the two worlds.
4: Uh, when you said us, were you referring to me as in us as old goalies? Or just I guess yourself? I'm
1: just referring to myself as the old goalie in this equation. Thanks for pointing that out, Cam. Just wanted to confirm. <laughs> we'll make sure we have Jono on next week. <laughs> hey,
4: yeah, feedback's been great for, for, for this all around, for goalies of all ages and all performance levels. Yeah. Um, Having that extra gap there again, like you, you described before the reverse VH is where it really comes up, it, you know, it just, it gives you that little bit more toe space to make sure that you integrate well with the post and not get hung up on there. Uh, sometimes, you know, with laces and other, some of those, uh, you know, cord systems in particular, you can kind of get hung up almost having your skate parallel rather than, you know, the blade kind of touching the ice, especially when you're in that position and a, that puts a lot of stress on your hips and knees, but it also, you know, you're, you're losing reaction time. Cause you're going to have to pick up your pad further to be able to get that edge. Right. So. This is where and, that comes in any. If you don't have that
1: gap, if that pad's pulled really tight over the top of the toe, it's kind of hard to get the toe box outside the post and the skate inside. So again, just a little bit of uh almost like a little margin for error um as you head into the post as opposed to the the chances of maybe ending up with that pad inside the post when you don't want it. So just you know, another another wrinkle. Good on the folks at Brian's for introducing it. So that's the Brian Smart Cord retails here for $29.99. Canadian, a product that can cross the border. Make sure you check it out at the Hockey Shop Source for Sports here in Surrey, British Columbia, or online at thehockeyshop.com. Cam, this was a quick one, but a good one. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Cam.
0: Having spent some time looking at that product, uh, I, I like it. I like what it does. I like the options that it, that it gives you. And it is truly uh, the best of uh, of any world, depending on where you are in a particular
1: because we do fidget with it with that thing
0: and uh i'm i'm gonna pick it up uh nice nice job
1: woody okay and uh so we should be clear on a couple things um hey it's not gonna be for everyone i, I do like it as a combo kind of blends both worlds um but you got to be careful the brian smart tr- smart strap toe tie is their sort of original one and that's just that doesn't have that adjustable piece if you're the one we're talking about is the brian smart cord toe strap and that's what gets you that little extra leather piece and that little bit of adjustability we'll have a video on uh, in goal social media channels with all due respect to cam it was Jono that walked me through it uh, a few weeks ago and alerted me to this idea Uh, we'll get that online well we'll get that online before this podcast is up so you make sure you check it out at uh, our Instagram feed and get a little more information on the Brian's smart cord toe strap hopefully We don't sell them out too quickly like we did the Lundquist sticks last week. Those were gone. Um, The hockey shop got orders and requests. They couldn't fulfill some of the orders across the border just because of shipping rules with Bauer product. Um, But they got a lot of requests from New York City. Uh, So it's kind of interesting to see uh, how far the the podcast travels. As a matter of fact, uh, an apology on last week's gear segment. Uh, We talked about the undergarments and both Cam and I butchered the pronunciation. Emily uh, from from oneiric, oneiric got a hold of us. Let me know the correct pronunciation, but we'd already gone with it. So that that base layer we talked about last week is oneiric. And remember how we talked about the only thing in my mind that it was missing and nobody offers this anymore was was sort of the padded knee pads. B- yeah. B- Bauer had the padded knee pad yeah. pants and, and nobody has anymore. We said it would make a nice combination with the Bauer padded knee uh, sleeves. And we happened to notice that Cam had a lot of stock of those now discontinued Bauer knee pad sleeves. He had, he had a bunch in stock. And when I realized that, I remembered a conversation in the locker room with Carrie Price about how he was running out of them and where was he going to get them. Well... Text message to carry a little back and forth. And Cam got a call from the Montreal Canadiens equipment manager and an order, I think think for a dozen, size large Bauer knee pad sleeves. So if you're out there looking for the Bauer padded knee sleeves, um, make sure you check out thehockeyshop.com. Just one more example of why they are the place to go for goaltenders because they know when to stock up on things that everyone else is going to be looking for, including the greatest goaltender in the world right now. Love the fact that you're a broker. It's amazing <laughs> how how you cover it all. Well, it's it's kind of nice when you can actually, as I said to Carrie in one of the texts, I'm like, it just feels nice to actually be useful for a change instead of always mm-hmm. asking him for something like his time or an interview or what you know, one more question, right, Darren?
0: Yeah, well, one one more question or two, just one more, just one uh, more. It you know that that reminds me of when when Osgood was around and Glenn Healy and and everybody was searching for the uh, the GM thirty. Cages, yeah, uh, because the the cages had all uh, been discontinued, and and there was that,
1: or or the uh,
0: the SK two thousand
1: helmets. Cluche, uh, I remember Cluche yeah. here trying to they desperately like buying them on eBay and repainting them. Yeah.
0: Darren Granger, the equipment manager at the time, scouring the earth, uh, looking for the SK2000s
1: of any color. You're right. Uh, uh hey, hey well, to, there's still some of that that goes on. Like, like, Devin Dubnik is wearing, he's the last guy now, I think, that's wearing the old Ree- Reebok pump skates. We've talked about this before. Um, but I can't remember what his size is. You know, but cowlings eventually wear out too. Like it's hard to find those cowlings. So he told me this summer they had stocked up on a bunch of his size cowling for those old Reebok skate products. Like he's basically got enough sitting, I don't know, in a garage or in the Minnesota, you know, equipment room to get him through the rest of his career because he has no intention of changing. The skates haven't been made. What? Like when was the last time Reebok made a pump skate, Hutch? Like seven or eight years ago?
2: At least. Yeah.
1: yeah. And he's still got to get into that on an annual basis and doesn't want to switch. So you're right. Like it, Hey, it continues today. They, they go to great lengths to make sure they have stock of product that they like that you can no longer get. And like I said, for some goalies, that's this Bauer knee sleeve, uh, padded knee sleeve. And, uh, like Carrie, you should hit up the hockey shop and the If you're looking for one, they still have I think, about 20 sets of large left and a bunch of mediums boys. Well,
0: uh, I, I'm trying to think of how they would those would fit on my skinny legs. So whether would have to go to a medium or a, or a small, just based on 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 skinniness. But Hutch, if if hockey shop ever runs out of stuff at thehockeyshop.com, they just call you because I look at your background and and I look around your house and you've got all this old stuff. I uh, I wish I had more of the stuff that I kept because you just talked you don't about, throw anything out.
2: Well, you just talked about the helmets, <laughs> and I don't have my original helmet with that. Uh with that cat eye cage on it. Uh, I was really upset when I was forced to switch out of the old Jacques Blanc Fibro Sport uh, mask and I had to put on a cage as a kid. And uh, I don't have either of those two things now and it's a great regret. Okay, so in Clark's story that never got told on the air, boys, because as, as we were
1: joking about buckets getting blown up, obviously mine got blown up this weekend by a clapper from the dot down. And he was telling me a story. Clarky played junior in penticton and guess who one of his teammates was taking clappers on him none other than brett hull and back in those days hockey canada had decided that the old helmet and cage combo was safest and Mm -hmm. so he has some stories there was one in a game where uh it hit him so hard in the forehead that the two screws on the front of the helmet went into his head and split him for 27 stitches up the top so We may complain about the modern helmet sometimes and the risk of getting hit in the head, but man, some of the stories that those guys used to go through in those old helmet and cage uh, setups, uh, yikes. Pressure cuts. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. what
0: those were mm-hmm. uh, at the time. And some of the guys wore the, the, the Gretzky like some, I, I can't believe oh, that a some guys used to yeah. w- wore, wore those things. Uh, from, the, uh, from the old days to uh, now, uh, Ian Clark and his uh, newest, student. Let's talk about Mike DiPietro. From the OHL, he won a Memorial Cup in Windsor, finished off his junior career in Ottawa for the final half year, and was Canada's starting goaltender at the 2019 World Junior Hockey Championship. Mike DiPietro has now graduated to the professional ranks. He's with the Vancouver Canucks, applying his trade. He's always been good to In Goal Magazine and spent some time with Kevin Woodley, talking about the past, the present, the future, and everything that happens in between. Here is Kevin Woodley and Mike DiPietro on In Goal Radio, the podcast.
1: The opening day of your first training camp as a full-blown professional goaltender. Where are the thoughts? Like, where's the mind going on a day like today? I know it's one step at a time, and we'll get to the message on the blocker soon. But like how big picture can you think on a day like today?
5: Yeah, I think that was actually the first time. Um, you know, I've heard someone kind of say that. Uh, even heading into camp, uh something that, you know, it was kind of the back of my mind, but it's something that I definitely look forward to. Um, you know, I think building off of last season, there's a lot of movement for myself and uh it was a learning year, which was really, really positive for me. And I think when you move into a, a pro lifestyle, there's a lot of up and down, there's a lot of movement and the ability for you to adapt to uh, you know new surroundings as quickly as possible will allow for you know the most success. So uh, I'm super excited for the opportunity, no matter what this year has in store for me, and I'm looking forward to uh, you know not only growing growing my game but growing as a person and as a pro athlete. Okay, so we'll 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 move
1: on from future as the Canucks. I just want to look back at last year because what were some of the takeaways? Obviously, World Juniors. You're you're pulled away from your team, but traded right before that. An injury and in the playoffs, like all the ups and downs that come from last season, what what can you take away from that? That you think helps better prepare you for your first year as a pro?
5: Yeah, I think you know. Initially, when I first looked back on the season, it was definitely a season of frustration because I felt you know so many points we were right there, uh, World Juniors, we were right there. I was really you know happy with my game, really comfortable in the net, felt I was playing at you know an all world level. And then, you know, the two flukes happen and, you know, you that lose your chance there. And then coming down in the finals, having a playoff run like we did and then coming down with the injury. So definitely there's a few frustrating moments, but you know, as time went on this summer, I really had the opportunity to really decompress and look back on it in a more positive way in a way that yes, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of ups and downs for myself, but also I got to check a lot of things off my checklist that I want to do as a goaltender and, Um, I feel like my game's growing in the right direction and representing your country on a national level is something that uh, I'll always remember and never forget. And that was a special moment that I could share with my family. And um, you know, I look back with a lot of positives from last year, even though there were a lot of uh, downfalls as well. But I think if you focus on the positives, then I think, you know, you have a better outlook on, you know, what the future can hold. And I think you're in a better mind frame for what's to come next.
1: Okay. So the other thing you checked off last year and, surprisingly, I think to a lot of us, you checked off first NHL game. Obviously didn't go how you wanted, thrown into the fire, not an easy night. Where do you, it's funny, I wasn't even thinking about that until you talked about checklists and then it popped into my mind. I'd kind of forgotten about it, but I guess that's tough to figure out. How many times have you been asked that question and asked about it? And how do you look back on that experience?
5: Yeah, I think, you know, for myself, uh, every time I'm asked that question, it's kind of with like a pity tone. It's like they feel bad for me. But you, um, you,
1: you got to play an NHL game
5: at that age. Yeah, and there's something that, you know, it's a dream come true. Obviously, you know, when you dream about your first NHL game, you dream about pitching that, you know, 40-save shutout and standing on your head and whatever, and, and it didn't happen for me. But, you know, I got to live my dream. I got to – I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Uh, it was an opportunity for myself to really look back and realize that I can get away with certain things in junior that I can't get away with in pro. And I think that was the biggest educational point for myself and coming into the summer and training and making sure I hone hone those parts of my game and make sure I grow grow those parts so then hopefully when given the next opportunity, I'll be able to perform better. And, you know, this year coming to my first year pro, having already that first game under my belt in unfortunate circumstances, but still having that, you know, I think it gives myself an extreme advantage to really anticipate kind of what's to come and what, you know, I need to make sure I focus on in my game and and what I need to do differently to give me more success uh, the next time around. Did that
1: affect your summer preparation in any way? I mean, I know you're a goaltender who, this is what I love, you study the game um, and the position, and you're passionate about it. You're not just out like You go out and play, but you're also looking for edges here and there. I'm guessing you went away from that game, like you said, with some ideas, with a checklist, can you give us, I mean, the audience is a hundred percent goaltenders. It's not your sort of regular media conversation. Are there little tidbits that you can share that like, Hey, yeah, this did work at junior, but it's not going to work in the NHL. And I need to adjust. So whether it's, you know, entries into the post or depth management, any little things?
5: Yeah. I think when, when I first met Clarkie, uh, you know, I guess it would be a year ago now. Um, you know, you talked about using my T push, T pushes more and, you know, at first I thought IT pushed a lot around the net and then looking back on previous video, you know, I, I, was, I was a wide shuffler, it seemed like. And, you know, integrating that into my game, uh, being able to use high stance, low stance, medium stance, making sure I can navigate around screens, more flexion in my stances. Um, you know, I think that was a big focal point for myself in helping navigate through traffic. Obviously, in pro, guys are bigger, but guys are a lot more skilled where they can get... Po- they can get sticks on pucks and um redirections that you know not many guys can obviously because they're the best in the world so um I found myself in my first game really trying to cradle that rebound but the puck didn't even hit me yet and I think that was shrinking my arms were coming in way too soon and my butterfly making me really really narrow instead of making me really really wide in in that butterfly which you know you have to make the save first to worry about the post save especially when you're dealing with traffic and I think that was something that Um, really stuck out for me when we were watching the tape over, uh, you know, the day after in Anaheim and when I was with Clarkey kind of breaking it down. So yeah, I think little things here and there, obviously rounding out the whole game, but I think using my high stance and making sure I'm timing it right, dropping in a low stance on the release, as well as navigating through screens, making sure my butterfly doesn't narrow. Uh, while still keeping high thighs and keeping a wide butterfly and, and my chest big as well.
1: How easy is it to buy in when Clarky's giving you lessons? I mean, you, you talk about, you know, I, the three stance system. He's actually now it's a five stance system. If I'm if I if I'm correct, it used to be a three stance system. But I like got something that, you know, that was one of the first changes he made in Sergei Bobrovsky's game. Adjusting the stance and managing sort of your stance depending on where the play is. Is it easy to have that buy-in when he's got that experience, when he's got that track record, whether it's a Luongo or a Brodsky, knowing that 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 sort of background is there?
5: I wouldn't say it's easy because, you know, I'm a stubborn person. And (laughs) even though I know I have to make changes, it's not going to happen overnight as much as I want it to. And I think I found myself sometimes this year forcing things into my game. And that was the biggest thing he said to me, don't force it, let it happen organically. Um, Tough but to I do in season 2, like did you go back to junior and feel like you're trying to make changes I rather than so. just playing still? Yeah, I think you know cuz you want to make those changes and obviously when you go from an NHL camp drop down to junior, you know, you think it's just going to happen and no, you got to keep working at it and working at it and I think um, you know, I'm someone who wants to be – perf- I'm a perfectionist. I want it to be done properly the way I was told to do it now or like yesterday. So for me to let it happen organically it's it's not really in my vocabulary but Clarky uh Clarky really helped me in in the sense of really opening my eyes making sure that I really don't force things into my game uh or else you're gonna get bit and and bit pretty bad so um I think adding those things to my game while still trying to tr- stay true to what makes me successful as a goaltender I think overall will give me the most success uh, you know, down the road in my career.
1: What is that foundation for you? And you say the things that make me most successful as a goaltender, what, like do you have that as this is my staple, this is my foundation? Or is it, what is it? I how think, would you articulate it yourself?
5: Well, I think, you know, ever since being drafted or entering my NHL draft year, all I heard about was my size. My size, my size, I'm too short, I'm too this, I'm too that. Well, you know, For the record, I didn't go we're very much pro small goaltenders. No, I <laughs> no, I'm saying it's it's pretty funny because even to this day I'm asked about that question, you know, everybody's six, four, six, five. I'm like, okay, let everybody else be six, four, six, five. I'm gonna be me and uh, you know, be the kind of goaltender that uh, you know, th- that I want to be. You know, the one that battles, the one that, you know, competes on every puck, but I can still add those technical aspects to my game that can make me successful at the pro level at the, hopefully the NHL level, if, if I continue to work on it the way I do. And, you know, I think just staying true to, you know, my battle, my compete, but adding other things to my toolbox will, uh, you know, definitely make me more successful.
1: Okay, let's go back. Why'd you, why'd you start playing? Like, why did Michael DiPietro fall in love with the game? I know you you got a big brother story in this
5: one. Yeah, corner. so I initially, when I was, uh, when I first started playing hockey, I was a defenseman. And, um, you know, just my dad and I, my mom passed away the year before. So it was just my dad and I, then my dad ended up uh, meeting my stepmom now and her son was six years older than myself and he was a goaltender. I saw him make a save on a breakaway in, in a house league game. It was like a regular season. Honestly, the game didn't mean anything and he always gets mad at me for saying that because to him it meant everything, but we always joke around him and I, but uh, I saw him make a save and you know I, I loved how a goalie can be a difference maker in a game. And, you know, they, they shoulder the blame, but, you know, they get kind of the credit to as well sometimes, even when we shouldn't. And uh, yeah, I just like being, being the X factor you can, you know, turn the tide in the game. I love, I love the pressures that come along with it. And, you know, I guess a little screw has to be loose. to want to get hit by things. But other than that, I think it's pretty, uh, pretty simple.
1: Okay. So gear, where does that work? Like, are you a gear guy? Gear keep has some great setups over the years. Are you, are you passionate about it, is it just a, is that just a little perk of the job? You get to have your own masks and your own designs. I don't know. And- I
5: think for me, gear is, kind of represents you. Gear kind of represents, um, you know, who you are as a person. And uh, goalies are unique because you can actually express yourself. It's kind of you know, cool, your, no? Yeah, exactly. Like, I love it. And um, obviously, I, I wore Brian's growing up and I couldn't wear it in the CHL. So, you know, and actually they build, they build the equipment about 40 minutes from my house.
1: I was going to ask you, so you made the switch back. Like how much did the fact that that, that factory really is in your backyard? I think it meant a lot to the, actually talking to some of the people involved, meant a lot to the people in the factory to have you come back.
5: Yeah. I loved Brian's. It was, you know, I like, cause I know everybody there. They, uh, they know me. I remember when I was seven years old, my goalie coach, uh, gave me a tour of the factory and I was in awe. So it was pretty cool being able to go back and see that. As well as uh, you know, seeing the guys, with familiar faces. So, uh, and, and on my mask, yeah, I kind of let Dave Art kind of do his thing on the front. The, the the back plate's more important for me. It's it's you know more special, more sentimental. I kind of make it, and um, you know, with my new mask coming out, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting it. So it'll uh, it'll represent me on, on the back plate while still having some fun and, and letting Dave Art kind of do his artistic you know, masterpiece, uh, you know, for everybody else. To see. So, the,
1: so the personal stuff's on the back. That's where the tributes and things like that. We'll see that. We'll wait for that to come out. But you've got on the back of the pads uh, yeah. a map of Essex County. What? Tell me about that.
5: Yeah, I just wanted, uh, I contacted the Brian's rep and I wanted to do something different. I wanted something to remind me of home. Uh, you know, like I said, pros, just a lot of up and down, a lot of movement. And, you know, <laughs> it comes a time where you miss home. Summertime, being able to be at home and, and seeing you know, being able to travel, go through small towns. I'm a small town kid, so I love being able because everybody knows everybody. And I just wanted to have a reminder of that. So Brian's did something cool. They hand stitched Essex County on both my pads on the inside. So um, you know, during the season, if you, know, you come through a dark time or whatever, and yeah, pucks aren't hitting you as many as you wanted to, it gives me a chance to kind of reflect kind of go back and, you know, just kind of picture being at home a little bit. Kind of, it comes, you know, it's a bring back point, a focal point to redirect my energy in a different way and just kind of brings me back to, uh, you know, why I love to do this sport. Okay,
1: so you've also got a bring back or focal point that you've written in in, in ink on your blocker. Now, um, we had this story last year heading into the World Juniors. The message was different on your on your Bauer blocker you wrote ABC. This year, the message is different. Walk me through just quickly The message itself, both that one and this one, what it meant, how you used it, and how you think that can actually be, like, can that legit be a tool that helps you in the game? We've seen, like, Corey Schneider years back used to have it and still has one in the inside of his blocker. How can it help?
5: Yeah, I think, well... When I was first 16, I saw it. When I was 16 years old, I went to Hockey Canada POE goalie camp in uh, in Toronto, and I just – actually, I never really told you this, but I recognized Carter hey, – these are the stories we like No, I recognized uh, Carter Hart had something written on his Vaughn blocker at the time, on the inside, but he had it with tape, and, you know, just you know, it was kind of weird to me. I never really heard about writing anything inside of your glove. And then, um, uh, rewind about six months for Team Ontario, we were prepping, and we had someone come in, talk about mental strength throughout a game and you know players sometimes will draw dots on the top of their knobs their sticks so after a bad shift they'll focus back to the dot and you know for me I guess as goalies we really don't have a chance to you know take a shift off and you know we're always on the ice really engaged so I guess it started with I guess drawing I draw smiley faces on my glove and my blocker I have it one on the inside of my glove, one on the inside of my blocker. And that's kind of where it all started. The smiley so, face, just a reminder to have fun? Is that? Well, yeah, especially when you get scored on, you have you know, thousands of people cheering against you or booing you and chirping you and everything. And I'm a person, I'm, I'm always smiling, I'm always laughing. Uh, every day is a great day to be at the rink, And that's um, you know, what I love to do. So I think just drawing a smiley face really exemplified kind of my personality and what I like to do. So that certainly helped. And then, you know, fast forward to World Juniors. I was talking with our strength coach, uh, Ron Hamilton, and he was, uh, you know, he gave us kind of tools and everything. He actually told me that he helped Andre Vasilevsky with ABC uh, throughout when he first started with Tampa Bay. And oh, ABC, like, okay, I can do the alphabet too. Like, what, like, what does it mean? <laughs> uh, and then it was aware, breathe, and choose. And, you know, I kind of digested that because I had my smiley faces on my gloves and it gave me a chance to really digest that information. And, you know, why would this benefit me in a short term tournament? And I think in tournaments, you really find yourself looking at the end goal, especially Canada. You're, you're always thinking about gold and this gold's what you want. But realistically, you're a month away from winning gold when you first enter camp to the gold medal game. And for myself, I wanted to be in the present as much as possible and making sure I win that number one job and then go from there and making sure I take it game by game. So uh, Hammy and I sat down and he really told me tr- trust it. So I wrote down ABC and I wrote aware, breathe and choose and aware is where you are and then you breathe, take a breath to stay in the moment and you choose what to focus on. And I chose to focus on the upcoming play or the puck or, or whatnot or the pe- big penalty kill we needed. So I think in a short-term tournament that definitely helped me. but. Um, I also work with Lyle Mast in the summer and all, every time we talk on the phone, uh, we always stay, stay in the moment, taking things one puck at a time. And when we first talked about this, it sounds simple, but you know, I never really thought about it that way because you know, as goaltenders, we really hate, I hate's a strong word, but we really do hate, you know, when you, when we miss a shot on the shot clock, cause we pay attention. And if shot clock people don't write down that shot, we get rattled. Hey, I got news so, for you. It doesn't get any better. It doesn't pros. get any better. But I'm just saying that, you know, when you're really just focusing on taking it one puck at a time, say a rush is coming down, you're like, I'm going to stop this puck. And then you're not really focused on, you know, the power play that's going to happen in three minutes from now or, or whatnot. And you're really not getting ahead of yourself. So I think I'll always use, take it one puck at a time. But I think for that world juniors tournament, the ABC of where 2 really gave me uh, the most success because it made the most sense to me at the, at that time.
1: I love it. I love it. And it's funny. One puck at a time. It's like golf, right? One shot at a time. Yeah, it's the easiest golf. cliche in the world to say, but from guys in their first year in the league to guys I talked to 10 year in the league, it's still the hardest thing to do.
5: Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely, you know, me playing golf is definitely an ugly sight okay it's me, but I love doing sounds it. like we got I a love, partnership in the future because uh, <laughs> watching
1: love, me swing is not pretty either
5: I love playing you know we go tournaments with you know best ball with my dad and my uncles I love doing that but for me to sit down and play around the golf I'm not that good at it and it's something that I'll get frustrated if I if I don't hit a good shot even though I don't play so I think uh, yeah <laughs> I only pick one frustrating thing so taking one puck at a time I think is going to be my
1: thing don't worry about one shot, the other one shot at a time the golf side um, last one, uh, cause PR is already going to kill me. We're over 12 minutes. Um, but just a chance to give shout outs. You mentioned Lyle Mast, other guys that you work with over the years that have helped to get you here to an opportunity to just sort of, you know, like I said, give them a quick shout out and who you've been, who you've been working with and who's helped kind of,
5: yeah, I, forge think, his well, journey. I think it all started with Brian Spearing. He was definitely day one, my goalie coach. Um, you know, he really taught me the fundamentals of goaltending footwork and every goal has to be able to move. And actually, it was pretty funny when I was little. Uh, Brian would literally buy all of Clarky's books, and he would read them, and he'd teach me from Clarky's books. So then, when no Clarky got, got hired here, he texted me, and I had no idea he got hired here because I didn't. I don't have social media at the time, so I didn't really look. And uh, yeah, so it was actually pretty cool. when Clarky got hired here. I told Brian, and Brian was super pumped. Um, and then a big shout out like as well to Perry Wilson. Perry and I worked together in Windsor. We worked together in the summer. Um, you know, early mornings on the ice, a uh, big thank you to him as well. Uh, Jimmy Bedard, he helped me out in, in Windsor, uh, obviously helping me out a lot. We won a Memorial cup together and, and we're super tight. He's a, he's a great goaltending coach. He keeps it fun. He's one guy that always has a story for you and you never stop laughing. And he's such a great human being. And then everybody in Vancouver that's helped me as well. And, um, you know, obviously mom and dad too so a uh, big thank you to them and hopefully just uh, continue to write the story
1: mikey thank you so much for your time i'm looking forward to doing a few more of these over the years but it's kind of fitting that we get to kick this off officially and you're heading into your first camp so thank you very much perfect thank you mikey di
0: pietro he he was great uh his draft year he was part of our coverage and he was a uh, in, involved in, in the commentary and interviewing teammates and, uh, and just, just fun with the, the draft combine. I've got a real soft spot for Mike DiPietro because he's, uh, he's so open and honest. And his, his comment, Woody, that sticks with me is how people are apologetic or sorry, or offer their condolences in, in, a, in their tone about his first NHL game, which didn't go great for him, but he's still like, I, I played an NHL game. That's, that's cool. I love that attitude.
1: Yeah. There's, there's, there's a lot to like about Mike DiPietro and, uh, he had a hell of a camp. Um, sadly the timing of today is he's, he's on his way to the American hockey league as we finish recording and send this down. I don't actually, hopefully by the time it's published, that's public because it wasn't <laughs> as I said that. Um, <clears throat> but I, I, I think there's a bright future there. Uh, a lot of people also, the other thing he talked about that a lot of people focus on is his size. Um, you know, and, and I guess that's natural, but I, I, you know, I just have a hunch he's gonna overcome that. Um, there's a just just a ton to like about the kid and I think it came through in that conversation hopefully uh, I think a lot of us are not cheering for him that's not our job but you you want good things to happen to good people and Mike Pietro certainly uh, classifies as one of those and just you heard it the work ethic, um, his approach, the way he was immediately looking for what the next step was you know what what the next step was how do I take it? Um, and then learning from the fact that maybe he tried to take too many steps at once after that first NHL game and that you have to just put pieces in place a bit at a time. So um, learning curves are a constant part of this position. And I like guys that are l- always looking for the next step, but understanding how to take it without losing yourself is a big part of that. And I think Michael DiPietro figured out a lot of those things pretty early in his career. Hutch, uh, this has been fun. Uh,
0: I just have one more comment uh, to the two of you, uh, before we go. I discovered that you guys don't wear danglers on your masks. And in, in men's league, I'm going to tune you in right now. Get rid of the mirror, get rid of whatever is holding you back and get some safety and, and, and smarten up you two. Okay. Let's go. I can't believe it.
2: I can't either. I got, I got drilled by a slap shot when I was about 17 years old, right in the throat too. And, st- and I, tr- I used one for a while and I went away and there's, there's no reason it's not vanity. Uh, it's certainly not that I think I'm going to be more effective if I don't use one, cause that'll never happen. Um, don't know. Hey, but I just wanted to say about this, this episode and all of them, I heard you talking there about Di Pietro and taking those steps. What a privilege to listen to all of these uh, interviews that we've done, mostly Kevin. Well done, bud. Um, as, as a goalie parent, just learning the lessons from the coaches and the goaltenders, hearing their stories, hearing the steps that they take. Uh, it's not just all about some X's and O's. And um, I, th- I think going on the journey with them is just really invaluable for all of us. And I really appreciate that we're able to do it each week.
0: And IngolMag dot com is a great uh, source for or resource for everybody as well, and uh, that whole reset and uh, and the the article that was published earlier this summer uh, from from Fry uh, and uh, Pete Fry, right? Pete Fry, yeah. Pete Fry, the goalie and, uh, guy. That- uh, that uh, that that was brilliant too. I just reread it uh, recently, and and I got a lot out of that. So there's uh, ingolmag.com as well as uh, In Goal radio, the podcast. Uh, on behalf of Kevin Woodley and David Hutchison, and our thanks to the likes of Mike DiPietro, Ian Clark, and Cam. I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening. Enjoy training camp and all the new setups, including that gold, that great resource, which is both a uh, m- mineral and this podcast. Use it and enjoy it. Goodbye for now.